Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. I have the privilege of serving in that capacity and uh, looking forward to this next five weeks with you. Uh, We're beginning a new series called This Is Us. It's a look at who we are as a church. We know that there are churches all over the country, really all over the world, many of them with similar beliefs, with similar goals and similar styles and all of that kind of stuff. But no two churches are exactly alike. Everyone is unique, and they each have their own unique contribution to make to the kingdom of God. And so we are drilling down on who we are, what makes us tick, and what's important to us. Really, this series is more of a family talk. It's it's aimed at those who would call Bridgewater their church. And it just is a, a reminder of who we are, what we do, and why we do it. However, I would say if you are new to Bridgewater, if you do not yet call Bridgewater your church, this is a great uh, week and a great series for you to be here for because it's a peek behind the curtain at who we are and what we're all about. And we hope that through this, we uh, not only let you know who we are, but we inspire you to get on board with the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. So uh, we're super excited about what this is all about in the next few weeks. When I was growing up, um, I remember going to my school's basketball games. When I was in elementary school, I would go to the varsity basketball games at my school. I grew up in Indiana where basketball is king. It's just better than your basketball. And uh, everybody knows that. There's no argument. Um, You can watch the movie Hoosiers, and it just continues to lay that doctrine down. And I remember going to these games and watching these high school boys play, and they could run, and they could jump, and they could shoot, and they could dunk. They were just so, so good, and I was so excited because I knew that my day was coming, and I was going to be one of them, but I was a small, wiry kind of kid. I liked to play with bugs, and um, you know, I, I was interested in all kinds of like just rambunctious outdoor stuff. And uh, there was going to be a a long haul for me to be like one of those players. But I'll tell you, they left an impression on me. I still know their names. Many of them, I know their their kind of life story. And I just knew I wanted to be like them in two particular areas. One was I wanted to bulk up because these boys, you could see their, you know, they were cut. They were just, they were, some of them stacked even. They were just so, if you don't know what those words mean, (laughs) I'm not going to help you. Um... (laughs) But they were, they were amazing. I wanted to bulk up like them. I also wanted to jump like them. I wanted to dunk the basketball. And so at a young age, I knew I had to get started. And so I had in my mind how this would go. And my order of priorities, um, I found, was, was very different from my parents' order of priorities. Because first on the list for me, if you're going to play good, you got to look good. So you need to get the shoes. You need to get the shorts. You know, you got to get the outfit. You have to have the fit in order to play basketball. So as a seventh grade boy, by the time I started playing junior high, uh, I was a paper boy, so I was making money. I spent $150 on a pair of basketball shoes. Now, this is back in like 1992, 93, somewhere in there. So just think about inflation, how much those shoes might cost today. Shoes are not cheap. And uh, so I wore those shoes, and I, I wore them really faithfully on the bench where I sat for every game. <laughs> I, had, I had the knee brace. My knees were fine. It just looked good, right? You just kind of looked like a player. The wristbands weren't really in style. Neither was the headband. If they were, I would have gotten them. Um, but I just, I knew I was well on my way. So then 
uh, I needed to get bigger. And so I thought, you got to buy the workout clothes. You got to get those gloves, right? The cutoff gloves where your fingers show, but you, you don't mess up your hands with all the heavy lifting of the barbell and the dumbbell. So I needed to get some of those. And um, I wanted, you know, make sure we had the right kind of food at home, the protein and the carbs I needed to, to, to build muscle mass and body mass and turn all that I was building into muscle. And, and we had no shortage of that kind of stuff around the house. We were, we were pretty healthy. And then I wanted like a weight set. Actually, what I wanted was a gym membership. And my dad was like, here, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go to the yard sale. We'll get a weight set. We did. They were like, the plates were, were filled with sand. Um, they were plastic. And then we had the barbell, little bench. And so that sat really, really still down in our basement where I just let it sit because I didn't use it because it wasn't flashy. It wasn't, it wasn't cool. And so um, he also said, you know, forget about that. You can do push-ups. You can do pull-ups. You can do, I give you all kinds of hard jobs around the house to help you build your muscle. You can build a retaining wall, which I did. You can stack lumber, which I did. Um, you can mow the lawn, which I did, but we're in Indiana, so it's all pretty easy. Anyway, I'm happy to tell you that today you were looking at the result of all that labor. <laughs> this is about how it went for me. Um, and so I just, I didn't really stick it out. It was hard. It, it required commitment. It required a level of commitment that I was not willing to give. Though those players inspired me and I really, really wanted to get there, I really wasn't willing to do what it took in order to get there. My problem was that my dedication lasted a week, maybe two. I was thinking bulky thoughts while remaining slim and slender, and so it didn't really, didn't really get there. My parents, I think, in their wisdom, decided not to just deploy a bunch of funds in that direction. In fact, this is just, if you're a parent, this is free for you. It's a wise parenting move. If you want to know the level of your kid's commitment to something, just test it. Just test it. Just give them a little something to do and see if they just take off with it. If they do, maybe you back that up. If they don't, nothing to worry about. My parents are like, yep, we didn't worry about it, and neither did my son. So it was really, it was wise of them. The truth is I failed. I just didn't pass the test. I didn't back up my ambitions with any kind of commitment. My life wasn't actually changed by the example of the older guys who went before me. I was just still me the way I was. And testing is a really good way to test, to um, assess someone's commitment level, right? If you want to know how good a product is, in fact, there are people who are paid to do just this, they test it. They test it. They see if it performs. If you want to know if students are paying attention in class, what do you do? You give them a test. You want to know if someone has worked up the skill to drive an automobile. You test them. It's not always fun, but it is an effective diagnostic to tell whether someone is ready to go. And now in the Bible, where we're going to be, where we always are, we find the letter of First John. John was one of Jesus' closest followers. He, he wrote not only a, a gospel, sort of a biography, a statement about Jesus' life, but he also wrote a, a letter, a few letters later on to people he cared a whole lot about. And in the letter of First John, he does a similar thing. He offers a series of tests. He, he writes this book, First John, offering up a whole bunch of characteristics of those who are followers of Jesus. Also, he gives a whole bunch of characteristics of those who are not followers of Jesus. In fact, I would actually encourage you at some point to open up 1 John uh, this week and then write down or type into your phone, whatever your style is, all the things he says are true of those who are followers of Jesus. 
And then write down all the things he says are true of those who are not followers of Jesus and see which one best matches your life. Do you pass the test? Now, John's not writing to spook the people that he, that he loves. He's writing, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I've written these things that you may know you have eternal life. His desire was that they be confident that they belong to God. But do they pass the test? Would they pass the test? Will we pass the test? After taking his readers through several tests, he really brings it down to one subject over and over and over again, and that subject is love. Do they love each other? Do they love God, and how would they even know? He actually makes a connection between their relationship with God and their relationship with other people and really brings it down to this. He says, love is generous. Love gives. Are you generous? If you are, you may very well pass the test and belong to Jesus. And it shouldn't be shocking to us that he points us for the definition of love right to Jesus himself. He says, this is the clincher. Look no further. You want to know what love looks like? You look right at Jesus. And so he, he introduces a test with two parts, and it's a test really of love expressed through generosity. How does love connect to generosity? What is that all about? Let's get started. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. If you have a device, you can navigate there. A Bible, you can turn there. If you're not familiar with any of that, if you're new, that's fine. There's no shame. Just poke the person next to you and say, how do I get there? What is he talking about? As a fail-safe, we've got it on the screen. Let's get started in 1 John chapter 3, the first part of verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He just spells it out real plainly. He's referring to the turning point of all history when Jesus, God become man, lived the perfect life, yet gave up that life for those who did not live a perfect life. He gave his life up for people. Let's break it down like this. God created man, and they had a perfect relationship God made man to be in, in fellowship, in unity with him, in harmony with him. This is the way it was. But mankind made a choice to rebel against God and sinned. And when he sinned, he created a distance between mankind and God. A chasm was formed that man could not get across. And God, being a just God, decided something must be done for sin. It violated his law as the creator and sustainer of everything. It went against his design. And because he's just, he said sin must be dealt with. And so there is a punishment for sin, and it is a place called hell. And people, because of their sin, will fall short of a relationship with God and get exactly what they deserve. This is the fate of all people. This is the default but God isn't simply just, he's also loving. And in his love, he decided he wouldn't ask man to do something about this. He himself would do something about this problem, this distance between him and mankind. And he gave Jesus to bridge the gap between man and God so that man could be put in a right relationship with God. This is the essence of what John is talking about. This is how we know what love is. Man rebelled against God. God wanted to be right with man and didn't ask man to pay for his own sin, but rather sent his own son, Jesus, to pay for his sin so that we could be right like Jesus was and Jesus would be named a sinner like we were. 
This is what he's talking about. And you want to know what love is? He says, look right there. That's his opening line here in this section. The sacrifice of Jesus was the ultimate expression of God's love for us. And John confronts us with the fact that if we do not have this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as the foundation and basis for our definition of love, then our definition of love falls woefully short. John doesn't even give any honorable mentions. There's no other options for what love is here. There's no contenders. And again, he connects love to generosity. John has already done this in his gospel. There's a chapter and a verse that you may be familiar with. You might have heard it before. Let's check it out. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved and so God gave in his love he gave. He's generous. Now, Jesus, as God, had the right to put himself first. He could have made his whole earthly life all about him, but that's not what he did. Paul writes about this in Philippians. He's writing to the Philippians about Jesus, and here's what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He gave up his divine privileges. God loved and he gave. This is the crux of the matter. This is the standard and this is the standard that we are called to. And what John does after zeroing right in on Jesus is he lifts the crosshairs and he points it right at you and he points it right at me and says, are you like this? Is this you? John actually seems to say generosity is expected of someone who would call themselves a follower of Jesus. It, almost like it should flow out of us naturally, the natural and expected response. It's a test of whether or not we have been changed by the Jesus we claim to follow. He continues in verse 16 saying this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Here's the first part of the test that we're looking at today. If you're taking notes using the Bridgewater app, here's what it is. My love for God is tested through generosity to people. It's really very simple. My love for God is tested through my generosity to people. John says if we've received this generous gift of love, we will, by default, automatically be gener generous toward people. We will be like the one who is generous to us. And make no mistake, this is a high standard. He says we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And it causes me, and it may have caused them to think, whoa, whoa, whoa. So wait, I follow Jesus, and all of a sudden now I'm going to be put in life-threatening situations and have to give up my life and, and, and lay it down for people all the time? I'm going to have near-death experiences once I, once I begin to follow Jesus? This is what my life is going to become? I should just expect danger around every corner? I don't think that's what he's saying. Let's look again at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God 
being that person. I think John has taken our extreme response in our mind and saying, let me just bring this back and put some skin on it. Put it at street level right here for you. You want to know if you'll be willing to lay down your life for a brother or sister? Will you actually just meet a need that you're aware of? Far from sacrificing our life, which we might be called upon to do, we will certainly be called upon to notice someone in need and do something about that need. If we're willing to give in the smaller matters, it is far more likely we'll be willing to give in the greater matters. We know this is how it works. My parents knew this is how it worked. Our branches of military know this is how it works. I used to enjoy watching a show on the Discovery Channel called Surviving the Cut. And it was a show highlighting the special classes and training for our elite branches of military. We're talking Rangers, Green Berets, and Snipers, and SEALs, and all that kind of stuff. And I would just watch that in awe of what these men and women were able to do. I mean, extreme conditions, extreme endurance, extreme pressure, extreme sleep deprivation, extreme uh, concentration, extreme isolation, extreme stealth. Just amazing. And I would sit there and watch a few of these and think, I could so do that. I'm not even joking. I don't know why you're laughing. But I remember watching, like they were in a pool, a deep pool, and they would put weights on their, on their wrists and on their ankles and just throw them into the pool. And they had to fetch something from the bottom, it, like with their mouth, and bring it up. Somehow learn to swim, you know, while being bound and I'm like, oh, yeah, bring it on. Yes, that's exactly what I would do as I sit with an open bag of Lay's chips. Like, that is so me. What's the likelihood that I'm going to be able to do that in my current condition? Not likely. I'm not even doing similar things. You know, we go on family road trips. We go under a tunnel, and the game is to hold your breath as long as you can, and see if you can make it out the other side. And we're like, oh, I'm gassed. Oh, my word. And like, Dad, that was train tracks. Like, oh. You know, like, I just, I don't do that much, and so I probably couldn't do it. And all joking aside, I think we can be like that with the people that we're aware of in our world, too. We think generous thoughts. We talk generous words. Do we display generous actions? I think there's a truth buried in here that the kind of person who is radically generous will first be generally generous. It's, it's one thing to have an extravagant gift. It's, far, it's a far different thing to just meet a need that you're aware of right when you're aware of it. I think significant acts of generosity are preceded by less significant ones. I think that's what John is helping his audience see. And we could still ask the question, but would I really be willing to lay down my life? Would I really be willing to give up my life for someone? And John says, that's helpful to think through, but I, I think he's taking us in a different direction. Maybe starting with the question, who would I die for? Just thinking about that. Okay, my family, um, not all of my close friends, you know, maybe like if you're a grandparent, grandkids, yeah, yeah, definitely I would die for those people. Let's replace that question and let's, let's take John's direction here. Who, who would I be willing to give up eight hours on a Saturday for? 
would I be willing to give up eight hours on a Saturday for anybody? Let's dig a little bit deeper, talking about generosity. Would I be willing to give out of the fund that I've been building for something I want to give to someone else? Would I do that? Would I set my sights not on what I'm trying to gain, but what I'm looking to give? Would I do that? I think that's the direction John is taking us here. And he says, if you're not willing to do even something simple like this, it's likely that you don't have the love of God, that you're not a follower of Jesus. You have not been changed. You have failed the test because generosity is found in people who truly follow Jesus. That's the standard we're called to. At Bridgewater Church, we speak and celebrate of this generous gift of God all the time. If you listen, I think you hear this. I'm here to tell you, even in our kids' ministry, we are talking about generosity. Just today, an information sheet is being made available at our kids' check-in area, and your kids, if they're checked in there, are being talked to about Operation Christmas Child. An opportunity we have to meet needs of people we don't even know. To fill a shoebox full of all kinds of things that people actually need and could benefit from that we probably don't. We probably have seven of them. We're not going to give up our used stuff. We're going to go buy new stuff and stack it in these boxes and ship it off to show the love of Jesus to people around the world. And it will be accompanied by a message of the gospel. And even if you don't have kids checked in kids ministry and you want to be involved in this, you can be involved. And you bring your shoeboxes in and we collect them all and we send them off just to show the love of God. In fact, I don't even know why I'm talking to you. You already did this. Did you not notice you exceeded the gifts on the pencil boxes and the backpacks? This is awesome, and this is so typical of Bridgewater Church. It's so typical of Bridgewater Halstead. This is the way it's been here at Bridgewater Halstead from the very beginning. Something has happened here. God, through Jesus Christ, has changed your lives. And you just respond. You just respond. And that's simple stuff. And I'm telling you, this is why David is confident. This is why I'm confident. This is why your leadership teams are confident, because this is who you are. And if you're not a part of Bridgewater Halstead or not even a part of Bridgewater Church, you've got to know this is who we are. We are so excited about what God has done in our lives and we just can't wait to capitalize on an opportunity to give something away to show people the love of God. This is what we do. But how can you tell? I mean, we're just, we're here together. How, how can you tell if someone's generous? Is there a generous look? Right, there's just definitely generous talk. How do you know if someone is generous? How, how would you know if you yourself were generous? I think John anticipates this question, and he keeps going. That's why he says this in verse 18. Dear children, this is the way he talked to the people he wrote to because he loved them so much. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I think John anticipates something else in his readers, and, and that is that they, they might not quite know how to incarnate this kind of love. And so here's the second part of the test, and this is what he introduces to us, and that's this. My generosity to people is tested through action. My generosity to people is tested through action. This is really, really very simple, but I gotta tell you, I think there's a reason John went here. There's a reason that he said this, because we as followers of Jesus so often and so easily are duped into doing religious things saying religious words, engaging in religious activities, coming to church, 
fulfilling a role in a ministry, lift, lifting your hands high in worship, giving some money, and all of that, and all of that done in being numb and ignorant of the needs all around us in this community. Do you know it's possible to do all kinds of wonderfully God-word religious things, keeping yourself unstained by the world and not have a, an ounce of an impact on the people in your workplace or on the road you're on or in your community or in your family? It is possible to do a bunch of religious activity and be ignorant and isolated from the people we're actually called to reach. I think that's why John goes here. And I think that's one of the things I love about Bridgewater Church. It's an in, intentionally focused on people who are not here yet. Because at one point you weren't here. And somebody went out of their way, took their time, and gave you the message of the hope of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and changed your life. And you have that same opportunity. And you can do it through words. And John says you better, if you're a follower of Jesus, do it through your actions. Many Bible writers seem to point to the fact that talk is cheap. James writes about this in chapter 2. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So James really cuts to the chase here. What does it look like to pass the test of generosity? Have resources, see a need, meet that need. That's it. That's it. So how do I know whether I have the love of God in me? How do I know whether I'm a follower of Jesus? Then do I love my neighbor? How do I know if I love my neighbor? Do I serve my neighbor? Do I give? Am I generous? If I'm generous in little ways, I have then laid the foundation in my life to be generous in more significant ways. It's important to point out at this, at this spot that we don't do this to earn God's favor or blessing. That's not the order John puts it in. He says, Jesus Christ laid down his life. And we also ought to lay down our lives for others. We do this in response to the fact that God has laid down his life for us. I'm not doing this so that he'll be pleased with me. He's pleased with me. He loves me. He gave Jesus to me. And in response, I am delighted. And I'm actually blessed. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is my, my, my duty and my delight to give to people. That's what I do. I do it in response. We give because he gave. This is one of our core values at Bridgewater. This is part of what makes us tick. And I hope by now you can see why. Looking back at my life again, just how inspired was I by the older basketball players? I was wowed. I was wowed. Not really inspired by them because it didn't ultimately change my life. How do I know? Because I wasn't even willing to do the little things that would get me there. But ultimately, that's not of any eternal consequence. I'm fine. I'm not big, and that's okay. But what a travesty. What a shame. What a waste to receive the love of God through Jesus and just keep it to yourself and not give it away in a thousand seemingly insignificant ways every day to the people around us at the grocery store 
on the road, in your family. It might even be the toughest right there, in your home. But love has been defined for us once and for all, and it's in Jesus giving up his life for mankind. So love resulting in generosity is one of the characteristics of followers of Jesus. We know we have passed from death to life if we pass this test. It is one of the ways we know. So let's, let's look this week at how we're going to do. And let me just give you some practical steps to flesh this out this week. Here's the first one. Take stock of your resources. This could be anything. I'm not just talking about money here. Some of us have that and can give that away. Some of us just have the gift of time. We're at a spot in our life where we just have time. We can give that away to people, meeting their needs. Some of us have skills. We have a, a set of skills that we can use to bless other people. Some of you are just so merciful, you just walk around and you just bleed compassion on people and comfort them, and that is so valuable. Others of you, your knees are worn out from praying all the time, and you just pray for people all the time. Don't stop. Some of you are so hospi hospitable. You just... You just open up your home and just bless people. Whatever it is, take stock of your resources. And two, identify a need you can meet. And how would you know? Well, you talk to people. You talk, or you talk to people who actually talk to people. right? And you can find out what's going on and what the needs are. Thirdly, meet that need. Just meet it. Whatever it is, big or small, just get going. And once you've done that, step four, repeat. Just build it into your life. Let it become a part of your rhythm, a part of your habit. You will be blessed. Let's, let's commit to individually be what we collectively want to be. Generous. We as a church value radical generosity. Why? Why value generosity in a world consumed with getting? Because it's the way of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what he did, and he has so radically changed our lives that we just naturally, as a response, are generous toward other people. It is both our joy and responsibility to be generous to the people in our world. We give because he gave. Would you pray with me? God, I want to take a moment and just acknowledge the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ, and you gave it to people who, far from deserving that gift, we deserved your punishment. We violated your command. We, we broke your standard. We shattered our relationship with you. And your response to that was generosity, sacrificial generosity. And I pray that you would confront us with our great neediness this morning and your great response to that need. I pray that you would help us be motivated like never before to look and act and sound and be a whole lot like our Savior Jesus Christ, both for his glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.